Hello there, this is Sietse from the Nirvana podcast. I just wanted to give you the heads up. What you're about to listen to is our very first episode and the quality of the audio isn't that good. Uh, we were still figuring out how to make a podcast and at this point we didn't really know what we were doing just yet. I think the content is there though. Uh, we had an interesting conversation about the childhood of Kurt Cobain and I hope you will enjoy it. If the way we recorded it is bothering you too much, please uh, skip ahead some episodes because over the course of the show, the sound only gets better and better. Anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Yigitje. And uh, what we're going to do here is uh, talk about the music and history of uh, the band Nirvana. One, one of our favorites, that's fair to say, right? Definitely. Yeah, so uh, we're, we're, what we're going to do, uh, we're going to do it more or less in um, chronological uh, order, which means that this very first episode is going to be about uh, the childhood of, well, mostly uh, Kurt Cobain, a singer and guitarist and founder of, uh, of the band, of course. Uh, but also maybe a little bit about uh, the, the background of the other uh, members. Um, but since this is the very first episode, I think it makes sense that we're going to introduce ourselves first. Like I said, uh, my name is uh, Sietse. I'm uh, 38 years old. I live in Amsterdam. Uh, just a little disclaimer, we're both uh, Dutch. So if you're easily annoyed with uh, accents or poor grammar, uh, maybe this is not the podcast for you. Uh, what I do for a living is I'm a, I'm a healthcare uh, reporter and also I'm a, a performer and teacher of uh, improvised theater. As uh, Actually, that, that's how we know each other. Yeah, um, definitely is how we know each other. Yeah, we, we were both members of the Amsterdam-based improv group Placebo for about... Not, not the band. Not placebo. the band. No, we were not <laughs> in the band Placebo. <laughs> we just want to make that very clear. There's an uh, improv group in Amsterdam called Placebo as well. Uh, and I think we were both members there for about 10 years. 10 years, I and, think, yeah. And eight years of, that, uh, of those 10 years together. Yep. You started a bit earlier and you quit a bit earlier than yep. I did. But uh, that's how we know each other. And, um, well, at one point we uh, discovered that we both uh, like Nirvana. So when I came up with the idea to start a podcast about it, I thought, well, maybe it would be great if you would come on as a, as a co-host. So... Uh, here we are now. Yes. And um, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, I uh, live in Amsterdam as well. I am a writer. Um, I mainly write for games nowadays. I used to write for film and theater as well. And I do narrative design for games too. Yeah, any, any game in particular you want to want to plug? Yeah, of course. I always want to plug my games. <laughs> <laughs> one of the most recent ones I did uh, might be interesting for listeners of the podcast uh, because that's fully audio-based as well. Games called All Frequencies. You can find it on Steam or Itch.io or any app store. Basically, it's a puzzle game that's uh, about radio stations. So basically, you have to listen and find clues and send stuff. So yeah, if you like uh, listening uh, to uh, to things, then uh, please try All Frequencies. And it also has a great soundtrack. So. Yeah, and if you don't like uh, like listening to things, well, just... Uh, what are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing right now? <laughs> uh, turn it off and go look at something or go, yeah. go, go smell something, <laughs> whatever. Then to our subject, like I said, we're both big fans of, uh, of Nirvana. How did that start for you? 
Well, for me, it started with my cousin. I have a cousin who's a couple of years older than I am. And he introduced me to quite a lot of music, actually. He was really into punk rock. He introduced me to uh, Nick Cave, for instance. Um, somebody I really love as well. And he was at that first Nirvana gig here in Amsterdam, uh, which I'm still jealous of. <laughs> um, and basically, he gave me a uh, cassette copy of Bleach. Um, and just said, well, listen to it because this is great and I think you're going to love it as well, uh, which did I you, did. <laughs> did. Did you love it straight yeah, away? Yeah, I, I loved it straight away. It was sort of because I had no idea what sort of band it was at that time. I just, I listened to it and there was something in there that was really, well, different and special and, and sort of exciting. And then when they became a bit more known. I used to watch MTV a lot uh, during that time and I mean they came into heavy rotation obviously with Smells Like Teen Spirit but before that they were sometimes on there as well because that really? whole yeah that that whole soup pop and grunge thingy was was starting already and MTV was sort of edgy back then <laughs> and still playing music yeah. <laughs> which they don't do anymore. So I'd seen some some footage of them. And I remember like weird interviews and stuff like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically that's how it started and uh, yeah. loved Nirvana ever since. Yeah, it's so cool that uh, Bleach was actually your uh, entrance point. Yep. Yeah, because mine was um, the Unplugged album. <laughs> like a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess Which, so. So it's no shame. Yeah. And it's a great album. True, but it only um, came out after uh, Kurt had already died yep. and the, the band didn't exist anymore. I always felt like that that's a bit of a shame because you, then you always uh, miss out on, you know, the excitement of uh, there's a new record coming out. Well, yep. like a like a legit new record. I mean, yep. there's there's new stuff being released uh, quite a lot, but but not like a new studio album. That's uh, true. You miss out on the excitement of, wow, maybe they'll come on tour and uh, play somewhere where perhaps I can go there and <laughs> yeah. then get frustrated because you didn't get tickets or <laughs> exactly. my parents wouldn't allow uh, <laughs> me to go yep. there. But still, that's like more yeah. of like the experience. And for me, it's always been a given fact that uh, the band didn't exist anymore. And uh, I knew I knew how it ended at the point that I got into them. Right. Can, can you actually remember like Nirvana being there and Kurt dying or? Not really, was, no. no. I, I I do have a, a vague memory of us watching the um, Freddie Mercury tribute concert. Right. I mean, he, he died around just, was it the same year he died. Freddie Mercury, no, that was died in ninety two, I think. I think yeah, that was a bit before. Yeah, Kurt Cobain yeah. died in ninety four. Yeah, yeah. I, I I do remember that, and I I was aware of a band called Nirvana being around because I have two older brothers, and uh, they were especially my eldest brother. Um, was really uh, into rock music and playing in bands himself and stuff like that. But I think I just wasn't ready for it at the time. So it, it, it took me just a bit too long <laughs> to, to get ready. And when, when I was like 14, it, it really yeah. struck a chord with me. And then I really got, got into them. And then I think the order for me was like uh, Unplugged the New York album, uh, Nevermind, then Bleeds and In Utero both at the same time. Yeah. And then every single bootleg I could get my hands <laughs> <Exactly>. on. <laughs> that was basically it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, today's topic is, is um, childhood of Kurt Cobain. Um, 
thinking about um, calling this episode Growing Up in Aberdeen, because basically that's uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Yep. And our story starts in uh, 1967, on uh, February 20th, when uh, in a hospital in Aberdeen, Washington, a uh, baby boy w- was born, and his name was Kurt Donald Cobain. His parents uh, were uh, Wendy and Don, and they lived in uh, Hokium, a quite small town, I think, yep. just outside uh, Aberdeen. And after a few months, um, the Cobain family moved to Aberdeen, and uh, that's where Kurt uh, Kurt grew up. And his his parents were still quite young, weren't they? Like twenty or nineteen or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. In, the, in, in the beginning, everything seems to be going just just fine. I mean, the, if you look at the biographies, the basic story is always Kurt was a really a happy, energetic child until he was about eight years old, because that's when his parents uh, got a, got divorced and he took that really, really hard. So the, so the first couple of years, apparently, he was very, very happy. And um, the cool thing is we have uh, actually audio of a very, very young <laughs> Kurt. Nice. So uh, want to have a listen to yep, that? Yeah, definitely. Just, just to be clear, um, that's that's um, an actual uh, actual recording of uh, of uh, Kurt when he was very young. I think about two or three years two old, maybe. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have this uh, this kind of footage because uh, his aunt Mary uh, liked to record uh, stuff with him. Yep. Uh, uh, like 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 videos and, and, and audio stuff. I think Aunt Mary will come up uh, will come up later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first, let's have a listen to what Kurt himself had to say about his uh, his earliest memories. This is from up until a, I was about oh. eight years old. I had an extremely happy childhood. A really good one with a totally affectionate mother, and she was totally supportive in helping me do art. I was always drawing and reading and. And she was really into supporting me, and and I had a great time, a really good childhood during that time. Yeah, that was a bad timing on my on my part. <laughs> I was going to say um, this is audio from a documentary called About a Son. Basically, um, the audio uh, from interviews that Michael Azaret had. Michael Azaret is a guy who wrote the official biography called Come As You Are about about Nirvana. And later they used that um, the, the quotes from Kurt to make a documentary. Uh, the images you see, uh, if you go look it up on, on YouTube or, or wherever, um, are from the neighborhood. And you get to see the, the places that Kurt is, uh, is talking about. And you'll hear him tell his own, his own story, which is, which is great, but also slightly problematic at times. Yep. It's kind of hard to um, really lay down the facts uh, of his early childhood, because there's two main sources, I think. Uh, first of all, like I said, uh, the biography Come As You Are, written by Michael Ezra, um, but it's based mostly on interviews with the band, band members themselves. So a lot of stuff that's in there is in there because uh, Kurt says that it happens. The problem is that uh, he's lying quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt, um, let's say he fabricated his own story quite a lot. I think he was um, the kind of person who, as he grew older, sort of had a nose for a good story. I mean, that's something that he also does in uh, in his song lyrics, actually. 
um, and you can see it in his journals as well that he's like aware of how a story is built yeah. and how you can um, like point to certain things to make it a round story, just like uh, any writer or screenwriter who would write a, uh, let's say, a well-made story yeah. <laughs> would think of stuff like, okay, so this is how I was and then this happened and then I became like that and then I... and. He's, he's doing quite a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. And also, uh, I think uh, at some point he just wants to come across just a, a bit cooler than he was or yeah. exaggerate just a bit, quite a bit about some, some things. He even did that in, the, in interviews. Um, still, it's, it's a good read, the comments you are, but, but you, know, you have to take certain details with, uh, with a grain of salt, I think. Then the second source that may, m- most people... Um, We'll point to is uh, the biography Heavier Than Hasman, written by Charles Cross. Um, the, um, he actually debunks quite a lot of the yep. myth that uh, Kurt was, was spreading, um, but he basically falls into the same trap, in yep. my opinion, um, because he's also you know trying to make a, a good story, and sometimes some things that happen in real life don't really fit the narrative. And he has a he has a habit of uh, filling in the blanks. Let's. He's made a really good read. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> it's a great book to read, and he's tried to, I think, make it less documentary and more story-like. I won't say fiction-like, but well, at some points it, it it's even fiction-like. I mean, um, first of all, like I said, he's filling in quite a lot of blanks, like. Uh, put, putting in details there exactly what Kurt was thinking or feeling at, at certain points in his life and he, he doesn't know that um, there are scenes in there that he says and at that, at that moment it started to rain and <laughs> I'm sorry yeah. it, it, well, it we rain, don't know that it rains quite a lot in Aberdeen so yeah. I mean <laughs> yeah. okay, that's, that's a fair, fair point um, a lot well, of rain there in, in my opinion he really drops the ball when um, in the final uh, chapters, he describes uh, Kurt's last days and his last thoughts uh, while nobody was there. So there's no way yeah. anybody knows what exactly happened uh, at that point. Yeah. And I, well, like I said, I have a, I have a master's degree in, in journalism. And I think that's, that's a big <laughs> no You can do that and still call it a, a biography, which is basically a, a, yeah. a piece of journalism and not yeah. a piece of fiction. So it's, it's interesting. I think since, since, I'm a fiction writer and not a journalist. I think I have uh, less problems with it. Uh, But I do get what you're saying and sort of agree with it in general because especially at the end of the book, by that time, you're really invested in it and you feel like this is how it went. So some sort of slight disclaimer saying like, this is how I imagine it has happened would have been nice to... That would have been way better, yeah. yeah. Because now people take it for a fact, and yeah. I don't, I don't think that's that's the case uh, a lot of the times. But um, don't also, forget that there's a lot of like the longer somebody has passed away, and the bigger the myth is, the bigger the stories get as well. And you see that even with the the facts in that book and other documentaries as well. That I mean family will sometimes maybe make things bigger than they are as well or yeah but then at least you can or at least you can quote him and then you can say well this is what um 
Aunt Mary thought of, uh, yeah, remembers yeah, or how, how yeah. she recalls it, then that's her reality. But if you put it in a in a in a book and without any um, disclaimer, like like you said, like uh, this is how I imagine it went down or whatever, I think you're you're crossing a line there. But uh, um, and another um, thing that I don't really like about that book is that it's really um, there's a lot of hindsight in it. He's really yeah. uh, uh, pushing the uh, suicide angle and. Well, of course, Gert in the end committed suicide, so it's easy um, <laughs> yeah. to, to, to say, well, he's right there because that's what happened. And that's true. But that doesn't mean that everything in his life led up to it. I think he's really yeah. looking for um, comments that uh, Gert made about suicide and really highlighting that. And I think, um, well, some yeah. of his old friends even spoke out and said, well, that's not really the case he didn't talk about it all the time no. it, it, it could have went it could have it, it, it wasn't inevitable that he committed suicide no. and maybe he was fascinated by death and, and talked about suicide every now and then that may be true but i still um i still think that it's it gets <laughs> yeah too much focus in the book yeah and let, let's not forget that kurt was especially that that first period that that we're talking about now as well and he was just a teenager. Teenagers talk about stuff, do stupid things that, I mean, dread to think what people would say <laughs> <laughs> or write about me if, if they would write a book about like my teenage years. I mean, we all say and do stupid stuff and he was drinking a lot as well and doing drugs and stuff like that that has an influence as well. Yeah. So maybe not everything people do at that age is something that is that important but yeah. then again it gets important because of what happened afterwards yeah of, 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 of course yeah yeah anyway that, that being said i think a very striking uh, detail from a very young child that uh, kurt cobain was was his, his childhood friend buddha yeah um he he had a very close bond to his imaginary friend yeah he was uh, an uh, imaginary friend that I think popped up when he was quite young, actually. Yeah, I think so too. Two, three years, something like that. Um, yeah. He had no siblings at that time because his his sister was born when he was like four or five or something like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so he uh, just had that imaginary friend. Uh, there, there's this really, really cute uh, anecdote that um, at, uh, at one point he thought he heard his imaginary friend because he was speaking into like a microphone or something that maybe it was with his uh, aunt mary probably which, which we talked about already um and he could hear like like uh, an echo uh, so he heard his own voice yeah and then he was asking uh, if that was his imaginary friend speaking but uh, i i think I've, I've heard that footage but i'm not quite sure if, if that was the real thing it could be in the in the documentary uh, montage of heck some remember to be honest I ha I'm, I'm sure I've heard it somewhere, but I'm not 100% sure that it's the, the it's actual really recording. Yeah. yeah. Tragic detail about Bada, um, well, two tragic details is, uh, first of all, that um, he got sent uh, to war yep. at some point. <laughs> his, his parents, uh, Kurt's parents, actually sort of were worried about that imaginary friend. Um, so when I think it was his uncle was drafted for Vietnam. Um, <laughs> Kurt's parents tried to send Boda with him. <laughs> yeah. So they 
apparently said to him like no no like uncle is going to vietnam and boda has to go as well <laughs> yeah which is ah so, oh, scary <laughs> yeah that's not the best parenting i can imagine <laughs> i mean if even if you have to uh, put your dog to sleep you tell your kids that uh, he's living in a, at a farm now right <laughs> well to be honest i don't think they they told kurt like your uncle is going to Vietnam to kill people and maybe die himself. So <laughs> yeah, it might have Vietnam might have sounded like this really nice sunny exotic place. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's fair, but but still. But the second really really tragic thing is that Bada never really left Kurt's mind in a way. Uh, in his uh, suicide note um, uh, at the uh, at the top, he wrote uh, to Bada. So apparently in his very last moments, uh, his imaginary childhood friend was with him in a way, yeah. or at least was uh, thinking of him. So that's very, uh, very tragic. Maybe the uh, imaginary friend thing also says a bit about what kind of child he was. He was apparently pretty creative and energetic and uh, liked to draw and liked to, liked to make music and sing Beatles songs yeah. and, and, and stuff like that. Because there's quite a lot of uh, accounts that uh, he liked um, drumming and playing guitar and, and stuff like that uh, from quite a, quite an early age. Um, and also um, the drawing thing. Uh, there's an anecdote um, uh, about that. He drew a Donald Duck um, yep. <laughs> character and his uh, grandfather Leland didn't believe that he actually uh, drew it himself. Yep. He thought he just... Uh, uh, how do you say that? Uh, he, he tracked just, it. He tracked it. He did, yeah, yeah, he thought that he tracked it, and then Kurt had to like, prove that he could actually do it by, by <laughs> yeah. draw it uh, on his own. If you're, yeah. if you're interested in those drawings, just look them up online. Uh, you can find them on the internet. Um, it's um, <laughs> it's I, I it's difficult because there's a lot of talk about like, oh, Kurt was so talented in in his artwork and. Um, no of course i mean if you look at those drawings yeah sure i mean he drew better than the average kid i think on the other hand i think that the the real creativity that you see in his later artwork that that's not there yet it's just like it's kids drawings it's like you say it's drawing like Mickey Mouse and 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 copying Donald Duck and um, it's it's um, it's nice. Yeah, but, so he was yeah. talented, but he wasn't like uh, he, he wasn't like it's extremely easy. talented. Exactly, prodigy. it's like that's that's one of those problems I was talking about. Like it's it as parents and family, you always think your child is like the most talented and rightly <laughs> so because that's yeah, what your parents were. <laughs> Yeah, um, by the way, my daughter is really talented. She's can, 10 months old. Yeah, she can she draw a Donald Duck? Not yet, but she can make noise. Oh, that's good. So can, can she sing Beatles songs already? No, but I'm working on it. Working on good. it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, go look up those drawings and, and decide for yourself what you do. Yeah. Well, but, but, but in, in, in later years, line, yeah. his, his, his art teachers did think that, that there was a talent there. Yeah. Um, especially he, interesting, I think, is this one uh, art teacher that uh, talked about a project he did where he made, made a, a drawing of um, several stages, I think, from, uh, from, from uh, a fetus developing. Right. And I think that's really interesting because that's a theme that comes yeah. up 
quite a lot in his lyrics yep. and you know you don't have to look at um, some of the artwork that he that he did even on the album covers or the back of the the albums yep. to know that he uh, well he was fascinated with stuff like that as well yeah reproductive uh, yeah production systems and stuff like that yeah, yeah. and babies and, and and stuff like that yep. so yeah. I thought it was pretty pretty um, interesting and apparently those were good drawings as well so yeah and he's he's always been a visual person I mean he he did a lot of work like you said on album covers on videos stuff like that he made some artwork later in life so I think we can we can safely say that he wasn't just uh, interested in music but he was also visually interested in things and had a good eye for uh, what was visually interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So music and art were, were a big part of his life. Um, but like we said, the, the happiness didn't last that long because um, uh, when he was around eight years old, um, his parents got a divorce. And for some reason, it's hard to say why he took it really, really hard. I mean, I think it's always hard for, for a child if, it's, if your parents split up. But in his case, it, it really made a big, big impact. Yeah, it really changed his whole, well, basically his whole his whole character. Yeah, yeah, he turned into a uh, uh, more introvert person. Um, like the, the the happiness and the the, the carefreeness uh, of those early years uh, sort of uh, disappeared slowly. Um, yeah. he had a hard time adjusting to his parents living apart. Um, not being a proper family anymore. Obviously, his parents had their own problems as well. Um, new relationships, they didn't all work out like they should have. Um, that impacted him as well. Yeah, so, I think in one interview he said that he was really uh, embarrassed and really ashamed because of his, um, because of his parents yep. um, getting a divorce. Um, so that's, that's pretty sad to hear. Yep. Um, and also, I think what, what was really problematic is that... Um, at some point, um, he didn't have a, a stable home anymore. No, I mean the, the first couple of years he stayed with his uh, with his dad, and that worked out just fine. Uh, they, it was just the two of them, yep. and apparently they had a they had a good good relationship at that point. Um, but then his father um, got remarried. Yeah. And, um, Even though he promised Kurt that he wouldn't, but that's yeah. the sort of promise that you give to your child who yeah, is you worried but you shouldn't because you, shouldn't. you don't know what will happen in the future so yeah, yeah. and um uh, his father's new wife um, had kids of her own yeah. and so they, they really wanted them to be like one big happy family but Kurt really didn't uh, yeah he didn't really felt welcome I think at one point no. but also I think he really rebelled against it so he didn't really give them the chance to welcome him in, in, in no. their midst or something. It's always hard to decide like <laughs> who's at fault in things like that. But just the idea of, of combining two families and then also they had new babies of their own. So I a lot of changes, which can be hard if you're small. Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. And um, the first couple of years of Kurt's life, he was the only... Um, a child in the family who was the first grandchild to uh, the uh, grandparents at both sides yep. of the family. So he was... Um, he was the center of attention. Yeah, he was the center of attention. And then, uh, you know, 
getting the, the video camera pointed at him and yeah. being encouraged to draw and his talents get, yeah. getting which, recognized. Which was really, uh, by the way, quite uh, special for that time. I mean, we were like in late 60s, early 70s. So having people record you on audio and video, it wasn't like now. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the fact that, that there is so much material from that period says a lot about how special he was for the whole family. Yeah. And to have that sort of being taken away from you, or at least having the feeling that that's taken away, that can be hard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that's something that maybe has been like something that came back throughout the rest of his life and career. Um, also something that, I mean, <laughs> again, it's something that he has commented on himself a lot as yeah. well. So you can't be sure how much is like the beautiful story and how much of it is actually real. But I think that his feelings of trying to belong to a group, trying to be part of something, um, trying to be loved, being the center of attention, um, trying to have this, this, this place of his own and this, yeah. this little tribe of his own. I think that that's definitely something that, yeah, went on throughout his life. Yeah, and I, I think, um, yeah, that, that started when uh, Don Cobain got remarried and after a while Kurt um, moved in with his mother, but she was, she had a new boyfriend as well who was pretty uh, abusive uh, a guy. Yeah. So uh, then and from that point on, he basically was handed down uh, through the family. Yeah. I think in Heavier Than Heaven, uh, the book um, it says that at one point he had like, 10 different homes in four years. So he lived with several aunts and uncles, uh, with, his yep. grand, uh, with his grandparents, grandparents at yep. one point, who, well, were, were fond of him, but apparently he couldn't stay there as well. Yep. And and that was really, really problematic for him. And it, it must have been traumatic, you know, having the feeling that he wasn't welcome anywhere. Uh, yeah, that, that must have been hard uh, on him, especially if you're like a sensitive kid, as, as uh, Kurt obviously was. Yeah, definitely. So um, to, to to get back to the to the timeline, um, basically I, I copied the timeline from uh, the website uh, LiveNirvana.com, which is a great website by the way. So if yeah. you uh, if you want to uh, read more about uh, uh, Kurt and, and Nirvana, there's tons of stuff on there. Yeah. Uh, one thing they did is they made a day by day timeline. So that's that's a bit like the. Our, our lifeline uh, for, this, uh, <laughs> yeah. for this episode and uh, perhaps for uh, uh, many episodes to come. Yeah, so uh, thank you to that website uh, for uh, <laughs> helping yeah. us out with that. And it's it's great to read all those details. It's 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 incredibly detailed. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. cool. So um, in uh, 1979, something else happens that's really important for... Uh, um, future events, uh, events because uh, the Novoselic family uh, they move uh, to Aberdeen. Uh, Chris was uh, Chris Novoselic, who would later become the bass player of Nirvana, uh, was uh, 14 years old uh, at that time. So um, he um, didn't grow up uh, in Aberdeen, like uh, for, for the most part of his childhood. Um, actually, he's been around quite a lot. Yeah, I think. Yeah, he, he came, um, well, his parents came from former Yugoslavia yeah. um, and they moved to America and he grew up in um, California. 
but they had to move to Aberdeen due to his father's work, stuff like that. California became too expensive, as it did and <laughs> still does. Um, <laughs> but I think they lived near LA or something like that. I mean, it, the, the, the change must have been incredibly big for him <laughs> yeah. to get into a, a small town like Aberdeen. Uh, a larger community. It, yeah, exactly. Always raining, like you said. <laughs> Always raining. Uh, so it took a lot of adjusting for him. Um, he did a lot of traveling after that as well. He went back to former Yugoslavia for, I think, a couple of years even. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, apparently his um, parents sent him there because they were worried about him. Yeah. Because he was uh, acting uh, uh, a bit depressed, I think, even. Yeah. So um, that's, yep. that's interesting. And and also interesting for his musical career because um, in Yugoslavia, he really um, um, got to know European punk rock. Um, because, uh, as he said later, he thought that that punk rock scene in Europe was uh, much more advanced at the time. Uh, so he really got to know some new music, new bands, um, something we'll definitely get into uh, in uh, yeah. <laughs> next episodes. There was yeah. uh, one band he, uh, he noticed uh, from the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah, but we'll get back to that. Yes, um, and he even, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, here, okay, here's another disclaimer. <laughs> uh, we're both Dutch, and I think we're gonna uh, try to claim yeah. certain. Uh, uh, <laughs> we'll claim everything we can. <laughs> yeah, and that's quite a lot actually. Yeah, but at this point, not yet. Not yet. yet. No, not yet. Next not episode. Yet. I think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or next, maybe yeah. the one after that. Oh. Maybe somewhere around the end of next episode. I think. Yeah, I think so <laughs> um, yeah, but that yeah, was but basically it, his yeah. his life, and I think he yeah. he went to South Africa as well. Yeah. He had family there, so he had a bit more uh, cultural experience. Yeah, say. absolutely. But at this point, he uh, didn't know Kurt uh, nope. Cobain just just yet, even though they went to the same school. Um, at that school. Um, uh, uh, Kurt uh, was uh, the drummer of the school band. Yep. So uh, he's, even though he did get a, get a guitar for his birthday at one point from his, uh, his uncle Chuck, who played him, uh, the band himself, but um, at this point he was he was a drummer. And in um, in his journals that were later published, he writes something I think very um, interesting uh, about that. So I, I, I want to read that. It says hi. I played the snare drum in school band from grades 5 to 9. During this time, I didn't bother learning how to read sheet music. I just waited for the geek in first chair to learn each song, then I simply copied him. I managed to do well without ever having to read music. It took me five years to realize, realize how rhythmically retarded as a drummer I was. So I sold some of my father's guns, then used the money to purchase my first six-string electric guitar. I learned everything I needed to know from one week of lessons, which resulted in the famous Louis Louis chords. And it says, I noticed that I could use the finger positions from the B note anywhere on a guitar. This is known as the power chord. So uh, this is pretty um, interesting, I, I think, because uh, he even drew, has a small drawing of the, of the power <laughs> chord. Nice. Um, and what I think is pretty interesting is that we already talked about um, Kurt's, uh, you know, myth making about himself. Yep. And there's quite a lot of that uh, in here. Yeah, because this is um, 
I d- do you know when he wrote this? Because this is later. Yeah, right? he wrote this, uh, I think, when he was already um, an established uh, yeah. rock musician, at least in his adult life. I'm sure about that. But but first of all, he, he says that um, he was uh, rhythmically retarded. Um, and, well, obviously he wasn't. No. I mean, he became a <laughs> professional musician. Yeah, and, said, and one that is... is very good at rhythm actually yeah. so yeah he didn't was a, he, he wasn't a very good drummer though so no. um and he says he sold some of his, his father's gun and then used the money to purchase my first six string electric guitar well that's that's, that's, that's not true two first, lies in one sentence that's two lies in one, <laughs> yeah because first of all he got his first uh, guitar way earlier yeah like said from his uh, from his uncle yeah I, be- I believe he even got the choice for his birthday between like uh, a bike or a, or, a guitar. Or, or a guitar. And that that was actually already a second guitar. Because his aunt gave him one yep. as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So he had one when he was little and Yeah, maybe and, like a toy yeah. guitar or something. Exactly. Like or an acoustic. Yeah. yeah. Because because his aunt Mary was um uh was a mu- musician as well. Yep. I'm not sure if she was a professional, but she was uh singing in like country bands, I yep. believe. So there was some uh, on his uh, on that side of the family. There was some musical uh, talent and also, uh, you know, some some encouragement. Yeah, yeah, he did mm-hmm. that as well. Uh, but the story about um, selling his father's guns—that's that's a story that he told a lot later. Yeah, um, that refers back to uh, actually his stepfather. Yeah, like we said, the abusive boyfriend of his mother. Uh, apparently, they uh, fought a lot, and at one point, uh, his mother took his uh, gun collection. And threw it in the river. And then uh, Kurt later told the story that he paid a friend to get the guns out, sold them, and bought his first guitar. But that's <laughs> which is a great story. <laughs> it, it's a great story, but like I said, it wasn't his first guitar. Um, I'm not convinced that the whole um, uh, picking up the guns from the river and selling them and buy instruments is actually true. It could have could be true. Could be. It's. I mean. <sighs> It, it's a long time ago. It's a small town. It, I mean, yeah, it it could have happened, <laughs> um, but I don't think it's ever been exactly proven. It is interesting, though, that that sort of what, whether it's real or not, that at least that that problematic boyfriend uh, of his mother had an influence on. Yeah, um, his musical career because there's also a different version of that story that says that he actually did do this, but he didn't buy a guitar. He already had a guitar and he bought an amplifier. Yeah. Um, so some of it might be. Yeah, true. there's probably um, some truth in it, but it's not exactly the way he, no. he wrote it down. Which is interesting because he wrote it down in his journals. Yeah. So apparently, um, he felt the need to you know craft the story even writing it down in his journal. I don't know why he wrote it, maybe because he <laughs> wanted to have it out there as his memoirs. I mean, he's, he's obviously, you know, really uh, stressing the fact that he never learned to read sheet music. Yep. So maybe... That's also something that yeah. musicians sometimes tend to do in order to sort of prove how much talent they have, that they yeah. don't even need to read sheet music, which yeah. I think is nonsense, but... Yeah. And he also says that he only had one week of guitar lessons, which, which, isn't, isn't, <laughs> which isn't true as well. Uh, at one point, I think a friend of his uncle, yep. his uncle Chuck, who was in a, in a band as well, uh, taught him for quite some time, I believe. Yep. 
Yeah, he just had proper guitar lessons for uh, for a long time. Um, and obviously, like we said before, that he dabbled on the guitar and he kept doing that. He actually played his guitar left-handed. Um, so he must have definitely tried a lot of things out himself um, in order to make that work. <laughs> um, but... What I find really funny is like he says here that like I oh I learned like the, the, the Louis Louis chords and then I could do everything, which is uh, something that <laughs> is yeah, of course it's true, but there's a a lot of stories out there as well that tell that Kurt just like every little kid, the first thing he wanted to play and to learn when he had his first guitar was the intro to Stairway to Heaven. Yeah, as you do. So <laughs> yeah, which uh, is a bit less cool, I think. Yeah. I mean, um, but but at, at still, this point, still cool if you can do yeah. it. I mean, I can't. Yeah. Can you? No, I, I can play. Uh, you play guitar. So I, I'm I'm a poor guitar player, but uh, I can play some uh, basic songs. I can play Nirvana songs, for instance. <laughs> I can't play Stairway to Heaven, and, and but I'm sure if I would look it up, I, I could play it. It's, it's famously quite simple. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, but it's good to realize that at this point, um, he wasn't exposed to punk rock nope. just yet. So he was probably listening. Um, uh, he, he said in an interview that he was listening to Queen. Yeah. Uh, bands like that. I think Aerosmith. Yeah. Uh, that was sort of the, 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 the period that they were in. I mean, they were Kiss. going from, from like the, the glam rocky period into the more heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, but still not the punk rock like we said already that was more Europe um, and uh, not that much yet in um, the environment that he was in although yeah. that would change quite fast yeah. absolutely but you just read out just, just a bit more from his, uh, from his journal uh, entry he says um, and so after figuring out songs like Louie Louie uh, Wild Thing and my best friend's girl, I decided that in order to become a big famous rock star, I would need to write my very own songs instead of wasting my time learning other people's. Uh, because if you study other people's music too much, it uh, may act as an obstruction in development uh, or in developing your very own personal style. So that's, uh, that's quite a statement there. But, uh, <laughs> And, and also quite a statement coming from somebody who was in a band that actually did quite a lot of covers and did, did great covers and, and actually helped um, other lesser known bands uh, become more known because of their covers. So the, the influence of others on, on his style and his music uh, were big as well. And he made them... Um, his own as well. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. But but still, it's interesting that at least um, in the way he describes it and he remembers it, um, he wanted to write his own music uh, from quite a young age, and yep. he actually did. There's just proof of that. So we're gonna uh, listen to uh, Aunt Mary. There she is again. Yep. Um, because um, in a, in a quite bizarre documentary called uh, Kurt and Courtney. Which is, yeah, well, we're not going to talk about that right now. There's this documentary called Kurt and Courtney, and we'll, we'll By, get to uh, that later. Nick Broomfield. Uh, yeah, and um, he visits um, Kurt's aunt, who uh, was really, really fond of him, and um, she shows him that uh, 
she shows an, uh, a tape recorder, and uh, she has the following to say about that. Mary also played Kurt's very first tracks that she had helped him record as a teenager. Yeah, he was like 15 years old when he did this stuff, and he was. He was banging on a suitcase because he... I asked him, I said, well, or I told him, I said, Kurt, you, you're totally welcome to use my computer drummer that I have down here. And, and he says, oh, yuck, I don't want to use a computer. He says, I'm going to keep my music pure. <laughs> so he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't let me, or he wouldn't take my uh, so offer. He, did he record, it on, Whoa, did he record it on that machine? Too? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Oh. So uh, you can hear a little bit of it here. Uh, oh, do you want me to... Sure, no, just, just play it. Just play it. Yeah. Courtney Love has threatened legal action, so I removed the song. Okay, so that, 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 that was it. Um, so I think those songs never came, came out. They're still on the tape machine of Aunt Mary. Uh, <laughs> Fading away? Yeah, probably. Um, I, by the way, I, th I think... Um, uh, they could have totally featured that songs in the, in the documentary. Yeah. Uh, despite any threats of legal action. Yeah, uh, but the whole point of the documentary is that that it's actually more about that whole <laughs> legal <laughs> problem than it is about Kurt and his early music. So yeah. uh, that's sort of the angle that the documentary maker has, has chosen. So I think this was more interesting to him. But yeah. less interesting to us because now we can hear what Aunt Mary had there. No, um, that, that, that's true. Although um, there are some uh, recordings out there that could have been uh, from that period mm -hmm. and that um, could have been uh, recorded um, on that um, uh, tape machine that, that his aunt had. Um, so I want to listen to a song called Creation. And I think this might have been from the same period and maybe even from the same recording sessions. Because of the percussion, right? Like Aunt Mary says that um, he was drumming on a on a old suitcase, yep. and the, the small part that we did hear sounds quite similar to me uh, as what we hear in the next uh, song called "Creation." So uh, we're gonna have a listen. <laughs> Weird introduction. Here we go. Seed that sounds quite quite similar um, with, uh, with the same instruments. So uh, that sounds like this. sure that this is uh, from that period but it's obviously a very old recording of, uh, of uh, Kurt um, yeah and and you can you can already 
hear that sound that we'll recognize later on from Nirvana, I think. And this is definitely early work um, because there's there's no like screaming guitars yet. Um, yeah. And that's definitely something that he got into later. Yeah, true. But then again, it's so, so weird that it's just uh, a bass guitar. Yeah. I, I've never read that he actually got into playing bass. So no, that's true. But maybe there was somebody else there. Yeah. I, there, there were, like, I think that when he was jamming later on with, with Chris, they, they changed up the instruments as well, right? Yeah. So. True. But I, I think in most cases, Kurt was either the guitar player or the drummer. Yeah, that's true. But I, I don't really know why that is. Um, another interesting thing uh, in his musical development is that uh, he went to see uh, the Melvins, yep. which was like a, a local, well, locally acclaimed rock group from, yep. uh, from Aberdeen. They were like the most punk rock you could get and, yeah. and pretty avant-garde, especially for that area. Yeah, so so he was one of those guys hanging around at the, at the practice space of the Melvins, yep. which uh, is quite recognizable for me because like I said I have an older brother who was playing in bands and uh, I was hanging around at their practice space a lot as well and talking with my friends about you know oh we should start a band as well and sometimes we got together with a few guys and then yep. we played horrible Nirvana <laughs> covers and um, actually I started out playing with a bass guitar because I thought it was the easiest instrument. Oh, <laughs> you were wrong. I was, I was wrong, but I figured, oh, then you don't have to play chords, so that's, that's easier. Uh, and also the songs that I learned to play were Nirvana songs and most bass lines are really easy. Yep. So I that's could play uh, Polly and I could play... Yep. Uh, um, uh, smells like Teen Spirit, and I could play about a girl pretty, pretty, pretty uh, quickly because they're really easy songs yep. to play. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's not an it's not an easy instrument. That's just stupid. But but yeah, Kurt was one of the guys um, hanging around there, and he met um, uh, Buzz Osborne, who was uh, was the, the, the leader of the band and yep. a quite um, influential figure, I think. Yeah, influential, I think, uh, both on uh, Kurt's musical development, but. I think for the musical development of a lot of people in that area at that time. Um, and uh, I, I think we'll get to that later as well. But the, the Meltins as a band, I mean, they were never big, uh, like uh, all over the world or no, even all didn't over. Didn't <laughs> hits or something like that. Exactly. But their their legacy is, is huge, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, interesting fact, uh, fact is that... Um, uh, Kurt first got to know uh, the bass player of the Melvins yeah. called Matt Lucan and he met him in the, the baseball league um, and he had to play baseball because of his father yeah. who was really into sports and well at this point it was still like a struggle between him and his father so uh, his father wanted him to uh, practice sports a lot and, 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 and he become was... a big of a sports fan uh, yeah. as, as, as he was himself because he was a, was a coach on several teams and stuff like that but but Kurt obviously was more into music. <laughs> yeah, I I think he he did stay with sports quite some time though. Um, but maybe that's just like my European vision because for us it's not that normal for students and and school kids to be into sports like it is in the USA. So yeah, I think so too. That 
might make a difference. But yeah. I, I think he did like he did some wrestling as well, right? He yeah, was in the wrestling right. team. Yeah. Here's, here's another famous story that uh, probably right, yeah. not true in the way that Kurt <laughs> later recalled it. But uh, and he said that at one point um, he was uh, he was on a wrestling team, and then his father father came to watch his uh, his wrestling. Uh, for a, for a match, and then he uh, he didn't put up a fight at all. He just let the other guy pin him down like four times in a row, yep. and all the time he was staring at his it's father in the crowd, who yeah. was really really upset about that. Yeah. And uh, basically, nobody who was there recalls this story, but again, it's it's a nice story at least about what Kurt thought of his father and their relationship at that time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, in Heavier Than Heaven, uh, Charles Cross writes that uh, Kurt often tells his emotional truth, which isn't always like the factual truth. Yep. So that's very well put, I think. So this is another another case uh, of that. But talking about the the Melvins, he um, he at one point he even auditioned for the Mel- yep. Melvins, but apparently he, uh, he blew it. He said he said he was so nervous that he was just you know. <laughs> Screwing up everything he yeah. wanted to do, which is pretty uh, pretty sad. He later <laughs> became like a sort of a of a what do you call it, like a roadie a for roadie, the Melvins. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and when he did start out doing his own music, he sort of performed at Melvin concerts sometimes because they had like they famously invited like friends and other people to do like their support or. They would play their own support, but in like different constellations. <laughs> yeah. So there were a lot of weird musical combinations going on on stage before any Melvin's concert, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty cool. I mean, yeah. they give people a chance to you know, get out there and yeah. experiment for themselves and stuff like that. Um, but um, Chris was also hanging around the Melvin's yeah. at that time. So that was um, a way of them to run into each other, at least. Um, yeah. I think there's like several stories about their encounters. There's also like in rock uh, history, just like this famous thing that the day when uh, John Lennon met Paul McCartney. <laughs> yeah. Um, we can't really ex- uh, pinpoint the day where uh, Kurt Cobain met Chris no. Novoselic. No, I think they just... I mean, they ran with the same crowd, but they were never really friends to begin with. So they, they were, like you say, they were at the same school. Um, they must have seen each other. They must have like seen each other. The they, yeah, they probably saw each other around the Melvins. But like we said, like there were a lot of people hanging around there because they were cool, basically. So everybody <laughs> wanted to be with and them. There probably wasn't a lot to do in Aberdeen for. Exactly for kids for, like that, and for people who were interested in music, because yeah. Chris was that as well. Um, Kurt at one time became friends with the younger brother of Chris, yeah. uh, which is a famous story of him going to their house and then Kurt asking like, "What's that noise upstairs?" and then. Chris's brother said like oh yeah that's my brother and he's playing music or whatever and he was like playing really loud guitar and, yeah, and, and singing yeah was immediately interested <laughs> in stuff hey, exactly that, uh, that's the cooler brother yeah. what do we have to hang out with him because I've never heard about anything about uh, Chris Novoselic's younger brother again <laughs> no, basically. no that was I just that story name. and there's also this story that 
Later on, um, uh, Kurt um, stayed with a friend uh, whose parents were uh, born-again Christians and he went to yeah. church with them and he became a born-again Christian for a while as well. And apparently, Chris went to that church sometimes as well, but yeah. just to pick up girls or something yeah. like that. Or so he said, but it's... Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> whatever. But that's also an interesting story that, um, that Kurt, like you said, he was trying to trying to find a place where he belonged. Yeah. And at one point he moved in with his friend, uh, Jesse Reed. Yeah. And his family like kind of, kind of took him in. And um, he really got into uh, religion for, I think, just a couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, he, really, like he really went for it though. He got baptized and everything. Um, and, and he was really into it. And then apparently there was just this random moment where he decided like, this is not for me. <laughs> no, but but it is interesting because later on, I mean, um, there are some references to God and to religion and stuff in his in his uh, in his music. Yeah. Um, in the artwork as in well. In the artwork, I mean, I have to think about uh, the music video for Heart Shaped Box. Yep. you know, with the guy on the cross. Exactly, and there's a lot directed of... by a Dutch guy. So yeah, let's claim that the video was directed by <laughs> another uh, one, Anton Corbijn. Anton Corbijn, so. yes, we'll definitely yeah. get to him later as well. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, religious and specifically Christian religious um, um, words and imagery in the Nirvana songs and also the the, the songs that he covered um, that really point to him being into religion for a while because he uses the kind of imagery and words and, and references the kind of songs that you would only know if you'd really been in touch with religion as deeply as that yeah um so even though he he said he didn't uh believe in a god later on and and that was obviously very clear um it did have some kind of impact on him yeah um, yeah most people when this comes up uh, point to uh, to lithium yep um i think that's well the word God is in there, and and it's, uh, yeah, it's and a very well known song. Yeah. So it's an it's an uh, easy easy pick. Yeah, and I think he said something about like there's this line there that he he found God that he says references that period of his life. Yeah, the, the, the actually yeah, said yeah so he, he said that. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's very um, clear in in a, a, a cover version that the Vaselines, one of Kurt's uh, absolute favorite bands. Uh, later did of the song uh, Lithium. Um, so uh, let's have a listen to yep. a moment of that. came out um it's been recorded uh, i think years after kurt had passed yeah but uh, i think he would have loved it uh, especially because it was the vaselines which was one of his absolute favorite bands yeah um, and for them to to do this like as a tribute to him again is is awesome so yeah, yeah. so cool yeah and and like you said it's interesting that um one of the covers 
one of the very famous covers that Nirvana did was uh, Jesus Doesn't Want Me For Sunbeam, yep. which he knew because uh, the Vaselines played it. Yep. Which is also a, a song with well, Christian roots. Let, yeah, let's yeah, like and it's, it it directly references a uh, a Christian, very Christian children's song. Yeah. <laughs> and again, if if you if you don't know it, um, the original one, just go to YouTube and and Google like "I'm Jesus Sunbeam" or something like that, and and you'll get to see the original song with some. Great imagery, yeah. <laughs> and and the interesting thing is actually that um, then the Vaseline's uh, uh, song is the title is Jesus wants me for a sunbeam because that is uh, what the original uh, children's song is about. Yeah, um, and then when Nirvana covered it. They changed the title to Jesus really? doesn't want me for a sunbeam. So I think that <laughs> they wanted to be really clear. Yeah. I mean, the, the lyrics are still the same because ah. the Vaseline is also saying Jesus doesn't want me for it. just wasn't in the title. So, oh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, in episode 100, when we, <laughs> we will discuss the unplugged sessions, uh, well, the, the, they actually played the song before yeah. they did um, Black yeah. Butter. We'll, we'll get to that later, um, but it's interesting that they um, they did quite a few um, cover songs with a religious uh, background. Yeah, um, some of the uh, Lead Belly songs, uh, for instance, uh, that uh, Nirvana covered, uh, and some of them were never released actually, but uh, were religious songs as well. Lead Belly is a, uh, for people who don't know him, is a... Uh, um, an artist who did a lot of blues songs and and yeah. traditionals or traditional like music, and yeah. they covered a lot of it. Yeah, and and Kurt really was was into Lead Belly. Yeah, uh, on the, that same unplugged recording, he calls him his favorite performer. Yeah, um, in his journals, there's a lot of lists with his favorite favorite albums and stuff like that. And Lead Belly's last session uh, is, is in most of them. I think it was in 1981 that they got together. Uh, Nirvana uh, was already banned, and there was another band called the Screaming Trees. Yep. And uh, Kurt and Chris, like the guitarist, singer, and the bass player from Nirvana, got together with the singer Mark Langan and the um, drummer of the Screaming Trees. Yep. And the story is that uh, Kurt and Mark got together one night. Um, they hit it off, and they started jamming, and they yep. wrote some songs they were really happy with and really excited about. So they wanted to record them. Yep. They got some studio time from their <laughs> label. Yep. Then they were in the studio and they forgot all their songs. Yep. <laughs> Apparently. So <laughs> instead uh, of doing their own material, they decided to play a couple of Lead Belly covers. Yep. And, uh, uh, interesting, interestingly enough, um, they did play Where Did You Sleep Last Night? Yep. Which is famously sung by, by Kurt later. Um, but, uh, which is, which is also a traditional, by the way. Yeah. We'll get to that later. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then, um, Mark Langan sang that one. Yeah. Uh, the two songs that Kurt did sing uh, were both uh, religious. So um, here we go. First one's called Ain't It a Shame. That's 
that's basically uh, the, the whole song. <laughs> Although uh, in the end he does he does it uh, with a with a classic Cobain scream. Yep. <laughs> and uh, the lyrics uh, change to "It is a shame to beat your wife on a Sunday." Yep. Uh, so it's uh, obviously not a very sincere religion, <laughs> religious uh, song. Um, and the second one is uh, called uh, "They Hung Him on a Cross." So let's have a listen to that as well. This song goes the same thing. It's basically the same thing over and over again from this point on. It's so. it's a basically a classic a classic blues songs. Yeah. Um, and and I'm I'm always amazed at how awesome Kurt's voice sounds in yeah. these songs. He's like he really he's he's feeling that that bluesy tone and putting some a, a bit of a, like. A <laughs> rockabilly into that and yeah. a bit of elfins i think <laughs> <laughs> but it's i mean his his voice is amazing here i wish yeah. he recorded more of these kinds of songs because yeah absolutely. sounds great yeah there, there are a few more songs in which he sings more in this style yep but most of them aren't officially released or um True. or like this one they're released on the, on the box set that came out uh, uh Years after uh, he had passed, uh, called uh, "With the Lights Out," yeah. um, which is interesting, and al- also a lot of that stuff is on on all kinds of bootlegs, and uh, so you can find it if you if you go uh, go look for it. <laughs> it, it. It sounds more or less like like the early recordings we did, you know, yep. without that much screaming, singing in the lower yep. key, I think. So it sounds sounds pretty cool. So um, I kind of lost track of our, of our <laughs> I think timeline. We were uh, at the point where uh, he was hanging around the Melvins and and got introduced to um, uh, to Chris and uh, went and lived with uh, Jesse and his parents. Oh, right. That's and then he moved out. Yeah, he did move out. But I want to point out first that um, Jesse Reed's father, Mr. Reed. Not only um, tried to make Kurt into a good Christian and almost succeeded, um, he was also pretty cool because he was um, uh, encouraging the boys to to play music, yep. and he actually drove them to a Black Flag concert. Yep. Again, uh, Kurt would later claim that uh, <laughs> that was his first show. <laughs> that was his very first show, but it wasn't because uh, a couple of years before that he went uh, to see um, what's his name again. Uh, Sammy Haggard? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which isn't that cool. Yeah. So, again, <laughs> Kurt, you know, kind of yeah. um, changed history a bit there. Yeah. For, for people who, who haven't heard of Black Flag, because it's been a long time, uh, you might know Henry Rollins. Um, he was the frontman of Black Flag, and um, um, it was loud. It was um, a, a, a lot of politics in there. Um so um, you can you can really see how bands like that um, influence Nirvana later yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. So probably Kurt uh, said that it was his first concert, 
maybe uh, part of it was because he wanted to sound cool and part of it maybe was because that's what really influenced him and yeah really I mean, and, and seeing seeing somebody like Henry Rollins on stage is quite something yeah. have you ever seen him <laughs> yeah yeah I've seen oh. him live not with Black Flag but later on when he went solo yeah. and and he's like he's a force to be reckoned with and I can totally imagine Kurt going to see him and then deciding like okay this is what I want to do <laughs> yeah cool want to listen to just a, a yep. little bit of Black Flag okay here we go with a Rise Above To balance things out, I think I think we should listen to Sammy uh, uh, Hager. You say Hager? Yeah, Hager. 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 Anyway, we're, we're not Americans, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> please, uh, please tell us how you pronounce his name. Yeah. If you listen to this and uh, you wanna, uh, and anyway, if you wanna have any like reactions to what we do, we love to hear it. Yeah. But if you know how to pronounce his name, yeah, that's know. the first thing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and if you want to reach out to us, um, you can send us an email. Um, you can send it to um, surewoodpodcast at gmail.com. Which and is not the podcast we do. No, I know. Um, <laughs> it's a weird email address. But um, here's the thing. I've made another podcast about uh, Robin of Surewood, the TV series. Uh, and I didn't feel like uh, <laughs> creating another email address. So if you want to reach us, yep. send it to surewoodpodcast.com at gmail.com or find us on uh, Facebook and then you can just look for Nirvana Podcast and uh, we'll, we'll come up. Um, so, Sammy Hager or Hagar or Hagrid, I don't know. <laughs> he sounds like... So it's interesting when you hear that kind of music that it it, it feels so old-fashioned. Yeah. Um, it's really an era back then that yeah. had a lot of that music. Yeah, um, and it, 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 well, Kurt did enjoy it. I mean, yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it's not bad. His classmates <laughs> um, uh, later said that after he had been to the concert, he actually wore a semi uh, Hager t shirt next day to school. So that's that's saying something. But I think Black Flag in the end was a, was a bigger influence on him. Um, also interesting is that um, after he moved out with the Reed family, um, he got to live together with uh, with uh, Jesse Reed. Yep. His friend, and apparently they lived in a in a quite a hellhole, <laughs> yeah. and uh, they really rebelled against uh, the whole uh, uh, Christianity thing that they were into not not long before that, with you know, uh, um, writing six 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 on the walls and uh, running around town spray painting "God is gay" uh, and abort, abort Christ and yep. stuff like that. 
so um, yeah, that was pretty interesting. Um, also, around that time, uh, Kurt um, got arrested for uh, graffiti. Yeah. In, uh, in town, uh, apparently he he wrote on a, on a wall, um, "Ain't got no how what you ma call it," which is a bit weird. Wow, it sort of sounds like an early version of "Oh well, whatever, never mind." <laughs> yeah. So wow, yeah, great reference. <laughs> um, and also, um, he dropped out of school. Yep, around that around that same uh, period because uh, just a couple of weeks before he. Uh, uh, would graduate, but he was way behind, and it didn't didn't work. His friend uh, Jesse um, did graduate. Yep. And um, according to some sources, that later um, uh, inspired him, or actually at that point inspired him to write a song called "The Class uh, of uh, 1985," mm-hmm. um, which we can almost uh, have a listen to uh, because uh, around this same period, uh, Kurt um, managed to start a band. Something he was probably dreaming about for quite quite some time yep. and wanted to join the Melvins. He was uh, creating his own music uh, already. Thinking about what kind of band he could and would want to be in. Yeah. And he, and, and he, apparently he, he fantasized a lot about that. Yeah. And he, he also said that um, for quite some time he thought it would be no problem to become a rock star. <laughs> yeah. So he, he also uh, thought about that. But, but uh, yeah, this is the first time that he actually... Um, uh, performed on stage um, in a sort of a, a experimental uh, setting, I think, in a, a nearby town, uh, Olympia, under the name Brown Towel. Well, they were <laughs> supposed to be named Brown Towel, but <laughs> due to some weird mistake, the poster said Brown Cow. <laughs> he, he probably wasn't talking too clearly on the telephone. <laughs> no, something like that must have happened. Yeah, and um, apparently uh, what they did is that uh, Kurt would uh, recite some poetry and um, Dale Crover and uh, Buzz Osborne from the Melvins, they would improvise some music, probably right. making a lot of noise, yeah. feedback and banging on drums and stuff like that. But it's uh, it's interesting that he, uh, he got on stage the first time reciting poetry. Yeah, that's <laughs> quite interesting. Well, it says, it says a lot about his writing ambitions. Um, I True. think like... Like before with like the artwork, it was pretty clear that um, he felt he had something to express. Um, yeah. And I can imagine that that writing things and, and trying poetry might have been interesting. Uh, again, the Melvins had a lot of experimental things going on. So it might have been like a dare or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, they probably did. But- Projects with uh, uh, like like all over the place, and then some yeah. friends would get together and they, they did this. And um, there, there were more like actually, I remember like Henry Rollins used to do stuff like that as well, reciting poetry. But I don't know if he did that during the Black Flag period as well. Maybe it was later, yeah. but yeah. Well, in, in, in the uh, quite short after that, um, Kurt managed to put together his first band uh, called uh, Fecal Matter. Uh, with uh, Kurt on guitar and Dale Crover from the Melvins on bass and Craig Hokanson. I I actually have a uh, <laughs> really weird fun fact about that that I just realized today. Um, Tell me. This is really going off track. Sorry, sorry about that, but <laughs> it's too funny not to tell. Keanu Reeves 
the actor. Yeah. Um, Heard of him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, well, he used to be in a band um, yeah. just before he got a really big actor. He, he already was acting, but he was also he was a bass player in a band. Um, that band eventually was called Dog Star. But apparently, um, one of the names they had before they became Dogstar was Small Fecal Matter. <laughs> That's really weird. <laughs> so I was really wondering because that was around, it was sort of around the same time, a bit later, if that is a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> and they both had like toilet humor. <laughs> yeah. Or if he heard about this or whatever but I, d I don't know where oh Kimberly's grew up in Hawaii right I don't know I'll look that up later I just as far as I'm concerned I... he grew up in the Matrix <laughs> he might have <laughs> but anyway that yeah. was going off track but it was too funny not to mention <laughs> yeah continue yeah right so as I was say, saying uh, Kurt Cobain and Keanu Reeves started a band <laughs> no no <laughs> No, um, <laughs> he started a band called called Fecal Matter with some guys from the Melvins. I think Buzz um, Osborne joined in later as well, and they recorded uh, a demo at uh, Kurt's uh, aunt's Aunt Mary again, yep. probably on that same uh, <laughs> same four -track, recording um, machine. Yep. And one of the tracks that's on there is uh, called uh, Class of '86. I think I just said uh, Class of '85, but it's actually the Class of '86, um, and it sounds like this. is a bit like uh, the poetry he recited yep. I mean, this is obviously from the viewpoint of one of the jocks that he hated so yep. much uh, um, at school yeah but it's like you say it's less singing it's more like reciting and reciting uh, yeah. yeah it's interesting um, and so is another interesting song that's on the it's on the tape um, it's called a downer and I think for a lot of people that's a familiar title because yep. that would later become a, a official Nirvana song yeah this is an uh, early version of it, and it's also uh, it's a bit slower. Um, I think it wasn't on the first issue of Bleach. I think it was on a, on a reissue yep. that came out later. But but it's interesting to see that the, uh, this is actually one of the first Nirvana songs, and it also has a reference of uh, of God. Yeah. So uh, let's have a listen to uh, a very very early version of Downer performed by Fecal Matter. Conservative, communist, apocalyptic bastard. Thank you, dear God, for putting me on this earth. Though very privileged, death for my thirst. Don't feel guilty, man. 
know, it's, what it's, do you think of it? It's interesting because you can, you can sort of hear a bit of Nirvana in there. Um, at the same time, it's also like general punk rock. Um, I can imagine there were like loads of, of small bands out there trying to do that because that was one of the things of, of punk rock that you didn't need that many chords to play a song. Yeah. And, and interestingly enough, Nirvana later on became known for the fact that they were actually um, making um, more melodies yeah. than regular punk rock bands. But here it's still a bit hidden. Yeah, and, and also it's more like spoken words. Again, yeah. In, in the beginning. Maybe yeah. he didn't uh, always dare to sing. Yeah. On the other hand, on some of the other recordings, you can really hear him uh, trying out his voice and trying to make different noises and stuff like I that. I know there's this story also about when he was rehearsing at home sometimes with his guitar that he tried to sing, but he tried to play his guitar as loud as he could so that others wouldn't hear his voice coming yeah. over the guitar so could have been that same sort of hesitance yeah 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 but it's interesting to to hear him try out different uh, vocal styles yep. in, in, in a way so i also want to listen to spank through because that's uh, the second song from this uh, uh, demo tape that actually became a nirvana song yep um, they actually um, played it uh, at live shows until pretty far into their career yeah I think they even played it at a famous Reading concert. Could be, yeah. I think so, well, once again, we'll get there yeah. <laughs> in, later, in a later episode. Um, here's how a Spank Through um, sounded like in uh, point in the career he coughed uh, accidentally I think later yeah. on he did it on purpose <laughs> exactly. because they could easily have removed it from the, from yeah. the uh, <laughs> recording but uh, yeah but uh, no this one I hear you can hear more of that melody coming in and also yeah. I think um, you hear a bit of like velvet underground bluey kind of influences at the beginning it was also yeah. a band that he loved and, and you can hear him trying that I mean Louie famously didn't sing either <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and that that low tone and and the sparse yeah. guitars is a bit yeah you can hear those influences yeah, yeah. Nice. and uh, again they would later uh, cover the song from the velvet on the yep. ground here she comes now yep 
Which, uh, so, so um, are, are there any more songs on this uh, demo tape of uh, yes. People Matter that you would yes. like to uh, have them all lined up? One is simply called R- Riffs. There are some uh, unnamed uh, songs on there. Um, let me see. Made Not Born, <laughs> Sound of Dentage. Those titles are interesting. That's also interesting uh, about the whole, we'll get to that later as well, about the whole Nirvana thing, that the titles often didn't match <laughs> the yeah. rest of the songs. That's, that's right, yeah. <laughs> There's a pattern there of, yeah. of having weird kind of uh, things. Uh, um, but yeah. Speaking of weird titles, uh, definitely Bambi Slaughter, because that's awesome. <laughs> Not killing Bambi, but yeah. the song, <clears throat> it's it's pure punk rock. That yeah, one. okay, uh, so here we go with uh, Bambi Slaughter. was influenced by bands that he was interested in because that Bambi Slaughter, I mean, there's this weird-ass song by the Sex Pistols. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they keep singing Who Killed Bambi? Um, and Does it sound a little bit like this? Who killed that bass? Who killed that bass? Who killed that bass? Who killed that Sorry yeah. about that. That's an earworm. You're, you're yeah. going to have that stuck in your head forever. But yeah. I think it's quite funny because it's the Sex Pistols who are arguably like the punk band um, of all times um, also made some really weird non-punk songs, at least yeah. musically not punk. And this is one of them. Yeah. Well, making a non-punk, not punk music is maybe the most punk thing to do. That is true. That no, is true. I don't know. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but it's interesting that, that Kurt apparently, he must have heard it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, listening to this demo tape, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, it's not something that I would do on a daily basis. I don't really. No. It's not my favorite songs or anything. I just think it's... Um, there, there's interesting stuff in there, but it's really rough and unpolished. And, and well, you can you can see and hear somebody trying to find his own voice and his own yeah. style. Yeah. Um, but the project, in the end, didn't really go anywhere. No. Because I think uh, a lot of guys from the Melvins, like we said before, for them, it was just like a side project. And I yeah. think Kurt had big expectations from it and he was really disappointed that it didn't... Uh, take off. Yep. I don't think they ever performed live. For no, instance. I don't think so. Yeah, it, it fell apart, but it is, uh, did have some very um, big consequences yep. because um, this was the uh, tape that Kurt gave to Chris. Apparently, he wanted to start a band with Chris for quite some time, but Chris always blew him off. 
but a year, about a year after <laughs> yeah. he got this tape from Kurt, he decided to have a listen to it. And he thought, well, that's actually pretty good. Yep. <laughs> Let's go for it. <laughs> it took him a bit of time, but then when he heard it, that was... Yeah. Uh, and it's it's actually interesting because you can only imagine what what he had heard in there that stood out to him. Because yeah. he, like you said, he wasn't really interested in Kurt up until that moment. Um He was really into music, punk rock, making music himself, but... For him to take all of that time and then listen to this demo and realizing, wow, there is something in here that that makes me want to talk to the guy and actually try and make some music yeah. with him. Well, there they were friends more or less, right? Yeah, I mean, they, by they that time. They, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think uh, Chris later said in an interview that Spank Through was one of the songs that made him realize that, wow, there's... Yeah. There's potential there. Yeah, makes that, makes sense because yeah. that is definitely one of the standout songs on, on yeah. this collection. And yeah. the most original, I think. I mean, yeah. The rest of it is more like typical generic metal riffs. Yep. And, yep. Uh, yeah. And, and, and copies of other bands. And yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very important uh, tape, the Fecal Matter tape. Uh, some of the demos, I think, have been uh, released later, but you, you can find all of them uh, online. Uh, if you do a bit of uh, searching. Um, and I think this is um, a natural or like a, a logical moment uh, to, to end our um, story for today because, yep. uh, well, then we can pick it up next time um, with the real birth of Nirvana, which is when uh, Kurt and Chris decides to, uh, to get together and they didn't form Nirvana just yet. And we're gonna... Uh, <laughs> we'll uh, still take some time and yes. a lot of drummers. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of drugs, <laughs> drugs I think. <laughs> yep. and, and different bands. Uh, we're going to have a listen next time to uh, a band called The Stiff Woodies. Yep, I another found, I fine name. A, <laughs> yeah, and I found audio of them. So, oh, cool. Yeah, I nice. haven't heard it myself until quite quite recently. Anyway, any, anything we we missed? Anything you want to throw in there? I don't think, yeah. Like, obviously, are, we missed like tons of stuff. But um, <laughs> can't talk about everything. Uh, no, that's, that's right. No, there's nothing special that I want to mention. I think we mentioned most of the things we want to. Yeah. Well, I, I do have some things that I want to, you know, at least have uh, have mentioned. Yeah. Um, in the category uh, myth that Kurt created yep. himself, um, and, and, uh, him sleeping under a bridge. I mean, oh, we did yeah. discuss that he. Um, was moving around a lot and, and sleeping on couches and porches and with several relatives and friends. Oh. Uh, but he never lived under the bridge. No. Nope. He, he, did. He, he, he did tell that story and people always say that uh, the song Something in a Way is um, inspired on that period. Yep. He probably hung out under a bridge, but yep. even Christopher Selleck later said he never lived there. You can't even <laughs> live there because of the, the floods. And again, this is probably saying something about his... Um, emotions yeah, and, and not about the fact. Uh, definitely, and about him not feeling at home anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Another interesting st- uh, thing that we didn't uh, discuss is that um, he was, um, when he was young, he got um, uh, Ritalin because oh, yeah. he was supposed to be, uh, uh, apparently he was uh, hyperactive. Yep. 
I think he did get Ritalin for a short period yeah, of time. just and a couple they, of months, I think. Yeah, and then they cut sugar from his diet or yeah. special or some, some ingredient and his behavior got a little bit better or less all over the place. <laughs> but it's interesting because later um, him and Courtney, who claimed she also had uh, Ritalin, and they said that um, people who had that in their childhood later often... Um, are more uh, vulnerable uh, becoming an addict themselves. Yeah, not not sure if that's a scientific claim. But, me neither. Um, <laughs> at least it's something that Kurt himself, um, like you say, mentioned. Um, yeah. And um, the fact that he was hyperactive or diagnosed to be hyperactive um, also says something about the kind of person he was and, and how he might have... Um, try to find ways to, well, yeah. get some peace. <laughs> yeah, and also he was very interested in all uh, kind of medical stuff. Yep. I think he also claimed that he had uh, scoliosis. Yep. And I don't think he really had that. No, I think that that they thought he had it because he he was small and he was hunched over a bit, and then they thought he had it, but apparently he did it. But well. Kids will be kids, so if, if yeah. somebody says you have some sort of disease, then it's yeah. fun to tell others, like, oh, I have something. <laughs> so, yeah, and yeah. I think he was kind of uh, obsessed or at least fascinated with, with all kind of medical stories. And, yeah, and, 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 and the it, body, yeah, the, the way the body, body works. General, and, yeah. and, and his own uh, health as well. Yeah. I mean, he had not that great health. He didn't take care of him very well as well. No, I had I a lot think of he, he, stomach problems as well yeah, from a young oh, age yeah. already. And about the scoliosis, I think he later said that the weight of the guitar actually made it worse. Yeah. Or maybe and if he was right-handed, it would have corrected it, which yes. is probably nonsense. <laughs> probably well. not. But I can imagine, I mean, he was a he was a tiny guy. I mean, I can imagine that, that um, he could have had some uh, issues. With, yeah, yeah, I think he did, yeah. Um, another story that we didn't touch on is that uh, at one point uh, in high school, um, he had a, a gay friend mm -hmm. and uh, he would later, uh, when he was famous, really um, stick up for, for uh, the gay community. Yep. All sorts of, of disadvantaged groups in society in general. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But uh, also uh, homosexuals. Um, the story that he later told is that... Um, he had a gay uh, friend, or no, let's let's put it this way: he had a friend, <laughs> and then uh, he later learned that uh, this guy was was gay, and um, he uh, didn't have a problem with it. Uh, but then the other kids in school, you know, um, picked on uh, on him and, and yep. harassed him, and, and obviously said, "Well, yeah, then you're gay as well because yeah. you're friends with him." So yeah. And at first he was quite proud of it, I think, yep. again, because it gave him some sort of identity and yep. he probably felt like an outsider uh, most of the time as well. Yeah, so this gave him, like, the right to be an outsider. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's so interesting. I think he, he later said that he was proud of the fact that he was gay, even though he wasn't. Yes. <laughs> so that's, that's interesting. Um, maybe we'll get back to that story as well, but I thought, well, we should include it in a... In our Kurt Cobain's childhood episode. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, that's it uh, for this time. I want to thank you for uh, for joining me in this uh, new experiment. <laughs> thank you for having me. And, um, well, and, and thank you all for listening. <laughs> <laughs>
Absolutely. Whoever you are. Yeah, and um, if you don't know how to pronounce uh, Sammy Hager's name, <laughs> but you do have anything else to add, or you just simply want to uh, let us know who you are, we're really, really interested in that because yep. we have no idea who will be listening to this. Maybe nobody, maybe some uh, older Nirvana fans, uh, but also maybe some younger Nirvana fans who you know, know the music and want to you know, dive more into the yep. background and the history of the band. Um, we don't know. Uh, please reach out to us. You can find us on, uh, on Facebook under the name Nirvana Podcast, or you can email us at SherwoodPodcast at gmail.com. So, uh, to wrap things up, I want to thank Joep uh, Hulleghi, a Dutch musician uh, who is playing our theme music. He has a really cool uh, channel on YouTube and also on SoundCloud on which he uh, plays basically every Nirvana song that ever came out uh, on piano it's a really really cool version so thank you you and uh, thank you all for listening and till next time